Thank you for downloading the following message from the Pickerington Church of Christ. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you walk with the Lord. For more information or to find additional resources, locate us on the web at pickeringtonchurch.org. Enjoy the message. It's important you know a few things as we get started today. Number one, you and I are in a war. If we are believers in Jesus Christ, we enter into a war. That it was not our war from the beginning, but we happen to partake in it now because we are children of God who is in a war with Satan. He has won that war, and so that means that Satan is now powerless. John says it most eloquently, I believe, in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4 when he says, He who is in you, Christian, is greater than he who is in the world. Satan is powerless over you. It's important you know that, but it's also vital you know that you and I have to be alert and prepared to resist the devil. We fight from a position of victory, not for victory. Jesus Christ has won a victory for us, and you and I are firmly planted in that position of victory. And our job now is to be alert, to be prepared, to be aware, to resist the luring deception of Satan, to leave our position of victory, and to go back into the world where we will be ravaged. And so for us to do that, we've got to wear what God has given to us. He's described here in Ephesians chapter 6 as an armor. The armor of God is the gift of God to the soldier of God to protect him or her from Satan. And so you and I have to know what our armor is. And more importantly, we've got to know how to effectively use it. Today we're going to move from the belt of truth to the breastplate of righteousness. Now we're going down to our feet. We're going all the way down to the soldier's feet. And as I begin to talk about feet, you might automatically start thinking about shoes. It's pretty common for our culture when we think about feet. We usually have shoes associated with us. But that was not, in the day in which Paul was writing the first century, a given automatically. You see, many people, whether they were soldiers or not, went barefoot. It was pretty common in those days, and if you had a little bit of money, you might be able to afford a sandal or something like that to wear as you traveled, but many people didn't travel. They stayed located in their uh, particular area, and they oftentimes didn't wear shoes. And for a soldier, this was incredibly dangerous. It was scary. It was a problem. In fact, many wars were lost simply because soldiers could not travel from one place to another without having a problem with their feet. Or soldiers couldn't endure just a simple cut in their feet because of infection and problems. And so this was a serious problem. And so a soldier's feet were crucial to his success. There was a really common war tactic in the time in which Paul was writing that was aimed at people's feet. In fact, armies all over would sharpen sticks and make little tiny pegs and they would stick them into the ground hoping to deceive those soldiers they were walking because they assumed they were either wearing no shoes or a very, very thin leather sandal. And the goal was to put a stake in the ground so that the soldier would step on that stick. Yes, if you've seen Home Alone, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you haven't seen Home Alone, I can't recommend it here, but uh, we'll talk about it later. The sharp stick was sticking up in the ground, and they would step on that either in their bare feet or their thin leather shoes, and it would pierce them and they would be rendered useless. The other thing that feet mattered for in the first century war was war was oftentimes hand-to-hand combat. 
it wasn't like military action that we see today. In fact, it was very similar to what you see in a lot of the movies where there was charging and hand-to-hand -hand combat. And so a soldier had to have um, solid footing for him to defend himself in a battle. Well, the Romans were a pretty advanced army at that time, as you can imagine. They were the leading empire of the world. And they had designed a shoe specifically for the soldier. Paul was laying in prison here and when he was writing the letter to the book to Ephesians. And most likely he was looking over and seeing a Roman soldier guarding him, sitting there wearing a shoe like this. It was called a Caligula. And this was a cutting-edge piece of technology for them in those days. In fact, you still see the style being worn today. It's the webbed leather that goes over top of um, a sole. Nash is actually wearing a pair of shoes that look just like this today, leather kind of woven over top of a sole. This is exactly where they got it from. You see, it had three features to it. The first was it had a really thick leather sole. And so it couldn't be pierced by those sharp little sticks or torn by rocks that they were walking on. In fact, it was really, really effective. It also had these hobnob sort of nails as cleats that went through the sole that then had an insole over top that they could walk on. They were advanced enough to even have insoles in their shoes at this time. And those cleats gave them stable footing. But the last thing that made these sandals or these shoes so brilliant was their design. They had webbing, as I was mentioning, leather straps that would go over top of them, and it made them light and also a lot of ventilation. So the soldiers rarely got blisters because the air could dry their feet out as they were walking, and they were light so they weren't heavy. These things were incredible, an incredible advantage to the Roman soldier. But as you see, as Paul sort of says this in verse 15, it's kind of a mouthful what he explains here that we need to focus on. He says in verse 15, And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. What he's talking about, the goal of this piece of armor, was that your feet would be ready for the war that you're going to enter into. We've got to have feet that are able to fight in this battle. That's the goal. So that we're able to stand and not fall when we're under attack. And so today I want to see how this... Uh, this piece of armor, these shoes equip us by the preparation of our feet, the purpose of our feet, and we'll see finally at the end how we actually put these things on. Let's start with our feet being prepared. You notice Paul, as I mentioned, this is kind of a mouthful when he talks about, you know, sh you might have the word shod, shodding your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And you might wonder, okay, what's Paul trying to get at with this really long kind of sentence? You see, what he's saying is your feet need to be prepared for battle. They've got to be ready to stand. And so to get your feet ready for your battle, you're going to have to wear a particular kind of shoe. There's not just any kind of shoe that's going to work for this battle. You've got to wear a particular kind of shoe. And this shoe that gets you ready for this battle is the gospel of peace. So follow with me. The gospel of peace is a kind of shoe that you put on that makes you ready for your spiritual battle. That's the essence of what we're talking about. Now, there are two elements that are at work for us to have feet that are ready to go, that are fully prepared. He says, first of all, it starts with the objective work, or kind of outside of you work, and that is the gospel. He says, the shoes are the gospel of peace, and it starts with the gospel. You see, the gospel in its very basic sense is good news. 
It's good news that God has saved you. In fact, over and over you see in the Old Testament, this concept of gospel come up. This idea that God is saving and delivering his people when they are under attack or in a war that they're not going to be able to win. David cries out over and over for God's salvation. And when he's crying out for God's salvation, what he's oftentimes calling for is for God to step in and defeat an enemy that David cannot defeat. And that translates into the New Testament where Jesus Christ comes and God, through his power in Jesus Christ, does something for us that we were not able to do. That's why this is good news and not good advice. This is like the herald coming and blowing the trumpet and saying, I've got to tell you something. The man or woman who went to war for you went out and they were victorious. And now you don't have to fear your enemy anymore. That's what this is. The gospel is good news. It's seen in Jesus Christ, demonstrated fully when he lived that perfect life that we couldn't live and yet willingly died the death deserved only by a sinner. And in that process, he took from us the guilt that we had and delivered to us the righteousness that we did not earn. And in his resurrection, he sealed for us an opportunity to have eternal life in the presence of God. That is salvation, and that is the gospel message. Now, what's interesting is if you trace the word stand through the New Testament, you start looking at the word stand through the New Testament, you see it pop up all over the place, especially the way that Paul uses it. For example, in 1 Corinthians 15, he says that you and I stand on the gospel, meaning that's, what, that's what's under our feet. That's how we stand. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13, that we stand by our faith in that gospel. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 2, he tells us that it's grace on which we stand. And then he says in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1 that we stand only on Jesus Christ. Now something really important kind of emerges from this that you've got to see in your spiritual battle, and that is where you stand. That sort of became kind of a, a commonplace question amongst Christians, especially those that are wanting to have arguments about doctrines and different things. They would ask you all the time, where do you stand on X, Y, or Z? Have you ever been asked a question like that? You know, where do you stand? Let me tell you a great response to that. Well, I stand on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's how I understand the doctrine that you're saying that you want to talk about, but I stand on the gospel. And if you stand on the gospel and I stand on the gospel, we're going to be together and we'll work through this particular doctrine that we may not understand. Do you see what I'm getting at? We as Christians stand on the gospel of grace and we stay there by faith. That's what he's laying out for us. Now the second thing, We've got this work outside of us, the gospel, that God did for us. But there's an internal work, a subjective work that happens. Paul uses a really weird word in this phrase that shouldn't belong in a metaphor about war. Do you see the word? He uses the word peace. Now, why in the world would Paul use the word peace right in the middle of a metaphor teaching you about the war that you're in? It's because of this, that when you get the gospel... When you receive the gospel, the natural consequence is peace. Even in the midst of war. In fact, you might be able to say it this way. When you have peace with Satan, you are at war with God. But when you have peace with God, you'll be at war with Satan. 
it's one or the other. You'll have peace with somebody and war with another. That's the only option. You see, and what Paul is saying is when you stand securely, when you prepare your feet with the gospel, when that's the thing that you stand on, you have a great amount of peace and assurance and security in Jesus Christ. In fact, in Romans chapter 8, Paul asks these questions over and over. If God would not spare his own son for us, what will he not do for us? Or he says, who can separate us from the love of Christ? There aren't these things that can separate us. When you stand on the gospel, you have an incredible amount of assurance and peace. We have peace with God, and he says that that peace that we have with God transcends even our understanding. Even the way that we can sort of explain it, it's a peace with God. And when you get that from the gospel, it gives you the very unshakable foundation in life that we're all looking for and need. Life is rocky. Circumstances are difficult. Things shake us up. Things are challenging. There's a lot of uncertainty. And when you walk through life standing on a foundation other than the gospel, you will find yourself shaking a lot of times. But when you stand securely on the gospel of Jesus Christ, you have peace. And so the way our feet get prepared is by the gospel of peace because the gospel produces peace in the Christian. And the peace in the Christian produces preparedness for the soldier of God. When you have peace with God, you're ready for this war. But secondly, let's look not only at the preparation of our feet, but the purpose. Why? Why do our feet need to be ready? So every week what we're trying to do is we're looking at each piece of the armor of God and seeing from it the way that Satan tries to attack us. That's what you learn from the armor of God. In fact, armor is always designed to protect you from particular attacks from an enemy. And so when Paul says you have to prepare your feet with the gospel, he's warning you about ways that Satan is going to attack you. You see, Satan's attack, as we've said over and over, week after week, revolve out of one of two things. They kind of revolve around two areas. And he's going to come at you one of two ways, and he doesn't care which way is successful. He's going to come at you either by puffing you up. Remember we talked about inflating you or through pride, you know, building up your ego. Or he comes after you by tearing you down. And he doesn't care if you get puffed up or torn down. All he wants is all of your attention, all of your focus, all of your mind and energy on yourself and not on God. Because if he can take your eyes from God to you, he can deceive you. And so he doesn't care if he puffs you up or tears you down. Now, the purpose of a soldier's feet, the two things that the soldier needed from his feet are the very two things that you need in this spiritual battle. And the first one is this. You need stability. You see, the soldier's feet, uh, he was wearing these shoes. The Roman soldier had uh, cleats in them, as I was describing before. And those cleats were so important that when that soldier was under attack in hand-to-hand combat, holding a shield, being struck by a sword, he could dig his feet into his foundation and not be moved. He had to have stability. You see, stability is what the Christian needs when Satan is trying to tear you down. When he comes after you to tear you down, you've got to dig your feet in and hold strong. Things like your self-talk will sound something like this. Things like, you're no good or nobody loves you. You should give up. Who would ever want you? You'll always fail. You're never going to make it. When Satan comes after you with all of these attacks, and oftentimes he uses things that are true in your life, the job that you lost, the person that left, he uses things in your life, and in light of those circumstances, he then attacks your character. 
And he tries to tear you down and attack your identity and your value, your worth. And in those moments, you've got to dig your feet in with the gospel and hold on tight. For instance, if he comes after you and says, you're no good. You dig your feet in and you say back to him, you're right, no one is good. Yet Jesus Christ was good and he died for me. When he comes after you and says, who would ever want you or love you? Nobody does. You dig your feet and you say, I know one person who is willing. When he comes after you and says, look, you failed again. There you go again, messing up. You'll probably fail again tomorrow and the next day. You probably should. You always fail. You dig your feet and you say, you're right. I do fail a lot. That's why I needed Jesus Christ. And because of him, I know I'll make it. Do you see how you fight all of these attacks with the truth of the gospel? And when you do that, your feet are digging into the gospel and you won't be knocked down. You see, with the gospel, even if those attacks are true, you can overcome by the power of his love for you. You can. Now, the second thing that the soldier needed was not just stability when he was being attacked, but he also needed mobility. He had to be able to move. You see, mobility is needed when Satan is trying to puff you up. For instance, it looks like this in your life. If you start having self-talk or self-thoughts that sound like this, man, look at all the things I do for God. People don't even notice what I do. People should notice more. Or maybe you say things like, I would never act like that person. I'm way better than them. Or maybe you start thinking things like this. I can't believe God is blessing that person. He should be blessing me more. You see, what Satan is doing is puffing you up. And in that moment, when you start having those thoughts, here's what's happened. You have moved off of the foundation of Jesus Christ onto the foundation of yourself. And in that moment, you need the gospel to run you back to Jesus Christ. You've got to have mobility. So here's how this works. When you start telling yourself, look at all the things I do. People should really notice more what I do. You use the gospel to run back and you say, Man, in comparison to what Jesus has done for me, this is peanuts. This is nothing. And you run back to the gospel. Or maybe when you say, I would never do X, Y, or Z. By the gospel, you say, by God's grace, he has given me good people in my life to help guide me and lead me. And I'm so thankful for those people that have helped me miss some major mistakes. Without God, I wouldn't be here. Or maybe you start saying, I can't believe God is blessing that person that way. He should be blessing me more. Why do they get X, Y, or Z? You use the gospel and you say back to yourself, I am so grateful he doesn't give me what I deserve. He's given me so much more. Do you see how when you're getting puffed up in your head, you've got to watch this. You're, you're no longer standing on the foundation of the gospel. You've got to run back to Jesus Christ. The gospel mobilizes you to get away from the foundation of a self-based salvation and back to Jesus. But let's finish with this. Okay, so you see the preparation. you got to get the gospel of peace. You see the purpose so you can be stable when under attack and mobile when you left the gospel. But how do you put it on, right? Because that's really where it all kind of meets. That's the rubber meeting the road. How do you actually put this on? How do you get these shoes strapped onto your feet? And the answer is going to be a little bit strange, but you got to hear me out. And the answer is this. You've got to learn to boast. You've got to learn how to boast. Now, that's a strange answer because boasting in our day is seen kind of as a negative thing. It's seen as like bragging or being proud of yourself or, you know, puffing yourself up. But that's not really what the original word boasting actually meant. 
You see, if you trace the word cross or the word the gospel through the New Testament, you see that Paul uses the word boast a lot. He talks about boasting a lot. And he borrowed this word boasting again from the military. You see, a boast is what a commanding officer would use to get his soldiers ready and confident to charge into battle. A common one was this. Your hands are strong. Your spears are sharp. Now let's go fight. You know, something along those lines. You might think of a boast as uh, maybe in more modern terms, kind of the pregame talk that the coach or the, or the captain would do for the team to get the team ready to go out and charge into battle. That's what a boast is, okay? And so, boasting is what you use to get ready to say, I know I've got this. And here's what the Bible tells us. Everybody boasts. Everybody. It just depends on what you boast in. Jeremiah 9, the prophet, that famous passage in verses 23 and 24 says, Let not him who is wise boast in his wisdom. Let not him who is rich boast in his riches. But you should boast in this, that you know me, God speaking. That's what you should boast in. You see, boasting is the place where you get your identity, where you know you're worth something, where you get your security, where you get your assurance and your value. Boasting is what you do when you wake up in the morning that picks you up to get you ready for the day. You see, if you boast in yourself, that will eventually give out because you're pretty fragile. You are not a boast that you can build your life upon. In fact, the modern self-esteem movement is just literally boasting in yourself. That's all it is. And it's fragile. Because eventually we figure out that we're ourselves patting ourselves on the back and we realize if I stop patting my own back, then it's gone. It doesn't work. So what do we do? Well, Paul says it this way in Philippians 3. Boast in Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Or maybe 2 Corinthians 10, he says, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. But probably the one that helps us the most today is this, Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. He says that we are to boast in the cross. And when you boast in the cross, he says that the world becomes dead to you and you become dead to the world. Boasting in the cross is the functional way you put on these shoes. Now, I know that's still in theory, so I want to really help you make sense of how do you each day wake up and say, I'm going to boast in the cross of Jesus so I can have these shoes on and have stability and mobility to survive. Let me give you two suggestions. First of all, every day, every day do this. Seek only the applause of God. Only His applause. There's this great line in Romans chapter 2, verse 29, where Paul's talking about the Christian. He says he no longer has the one who's a Jew. He's using the, the metaphor of being a Jew and being circumcised. He says the one who's a Jew inwardly, meaning the one who's become a Christian now, no longer gets his praise from man, but his praise comes from God. And that word praise is literally the word for applause, like someone standing up and being like, applauding at you. That person who now is a Christian gets his applause from God. The Christian's praise is no longer from man. And there are few things in this life that are more deeply satisfying and stabilizing than applause. Just think for a moment. I, I, maybe you have to go all the way back to like, you know, your third grade play, the last time somebody clapped for you. I don't know. But um, just think about the last time, really, you... I'm not just talking theory. Like somebody was clapping for you. Maybe it was an athletic event or maybe it was after a performance or the third grade play or something. 
It's deeply satisfying, isn't it, to stand there. It's really, really hard after you finish a performance and somebody stands and begins to applaud for you to feel bad about yourself. It's really hard. Because applause is the external expression of approval. What you've done is great, and I accept it. Now listen. In Jesus Christ, God looks at you covered in the righteousness of Jesus, sinless, and God sees you, and he is applauding you. C.S. Lewis spoke of it in light of this this way. It's really beautiful. He says, this applause of God, that, you, that when the Christian finally realizes that God is looking at you in Jesus, not in yourself, but in Jesus, and applauding you, it gives you this great amount of humility, but he says, the door on which we have been knocking all of our lives will finally be open. You see, you'll, once you get the applause of God, once you realize that God in Jesus Christ is satisfied, is approving of you, you no longer will need your relationships to get that. You know, we're sucking relationships dry to get self-affirmation to make us feel better about ourselves. We use people, we love people to be loved. You know what I'm talking about? We, when you get that from God, you no longer use people in your relationships to feel better about yourself. You actually move out into your relationships to serve. You see, when you get it from God, you no longer need your work to validate your life, to applaud for you. You no longer need the amount of money you have to applaud for you. You no longer need your um, accomplishments and success. You no longer need any performance to applaud for you because you now have the applause of heaven and you're free to be a servant. And that all comes in the gospel. The second thing you need to do is this. Not just seek the applause of God, but see the sacrifice of Jesus to get that applause. This approval that you now have in Jesus Christ came at an incredible cost. In fact, it came at the very expense of what you deserved, but what we needed. You see, Jesus was mocked, ridiculed, so that you could be lifted up and exalted. Jesus was isolated, all alone, so that you could be brought into fellowship. And Jesus was laughed at. Now think about this on stage. Jesus, the, the Bible word is jeered, which means to be laughed at so that you could hear the applause of heaven. You see, that's really the love that you have longed for, the affirmation you need, the security identity that you're searching for. As C.S. Lewis said, when this door opens, you no longer have to knock anymore. You've got what you need. You have it. And you have to remind yourself of this beautiful gospel every day. So I want to encourage you, when you read Scripture every day, even if it's just 5, 10, 15 verses, find the gospel in every story, in every passage, in every aspect of the Bible. Ask, what has God done for us? What has God done for me? Find it. And if you're struggling to do that with Scripture because it's kind of hard, I encourage you to find some good literature, some good books. There's one in particular I would recommend to you. Paul Tripp wrote a book called New Mercies Every Morning. And it's a daily devotional that brings you into the gospel every day. Christians, you have to learn how to boast in the gospel. And when you do, you'll strap these shoes on. And you'll have stability when you get attacked. But you'll also have mobility when you're puffed up and you've left Christ. And those shoes will bring you to the gospel over and over. And you'll defeat Satan. And you'll no longer fall to his prey and his deception. That's the power of this tool. That's the power of this armor to bring you to Jesus Christ, the one who has saved you. If you need to come to him, we're always available. We can do that now as we stand and sing this song.